The years 1997 up through approximately 2012 are really important years. This is considered to be the period of time in which Generation Z was born. So I have the majority of my children, uh, not the younger two, born in that time frame. And so you are also probably raising a child who was born in Generation Z. This episode is an absolute must listen for you, and it was very enlightening for Steve and I, because we are parenting Generation Z, and there's this really big problem. There's this pressing concern. So many of the Gen Z kids are turning away from the church and even their own families. So today's conversation is going to help alleviate some of that fear and equip us to be able to know how to talk to this generation, whether it's to our own children or the children that we see in the community around us. Joining us today is an absolutely phenomenal guest, Jason Jimenez. He's an author. He has had two decades of experience ministering to families. He's the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. He's a pastor, an apologist, a husband, a father of four, and he's a nationally renowned speaker. He just released his newest book called Parenting Gen Z through Focus on the Family. It's an essential guide that will help all of us who are raising children in this unique generation. This is a very unique generation, too. In this very insightful interview, Jason, he takes the time to tell us what the distinct characteristics are of Generation Z and helps to us to understand how this generation really perceives the world differently than previous generations. It's important for us to understand these things because the way that we view the world is not the same as this this community around our children and even our own children. So during our conversation, we're going to dig into basically the art of effective spiritual communication with Gen Z, and especially when it comes to the beliefs this generation has that are very diverse and unique from what we grew up with. It's important to understand how we can have these good conversations. Jason's going to cover strategies for also navigating conversations about spirituality with other parents who may have differing beliefs from ours, but who are also raising Gen Z kids that are in the community with ours. This interview is packed full with amazing advice, actionable steps, real life stories, and instead of cutting it in half like I usually do, because I know how busy we are and it's hard to listen to something that's a full 40 minutes or more, I like to give us short chunks. And for most of the solos and interviews, I am making them short, but this interview needed to be left full length. It's got so much knowledge and so much support for us as we face raising kids today. And so I pray that this conversation truly does encourage you. I pray that it equips you as we get to listen to this incredible pastor who is an expert in parenting the generation that we have in our own homes. I believe this episode is going to leave you feeling a comfort and a strength while you face parenting these beautiful gifts. And I know you're going to feel equipped in areas where you didn't feel steady before. I pray this blesses you, and I'm very excited to present to you our new friend, Jason Jimenez. Hey, mamas, welcome to Her Home and Heart podcast. Do you want balance in your home life and peace in your heart at the end of each long day? Do you want to let go of feelings of failure because you've yelled at the kids again despite promising yourself and God you'd stop? I'm Katie. I'm a homeschooling mom who also had little kids and wanted to create a thriving home environment. In this podcast, you'll find resources for holistic living, heart connection with your family, and homeschooling so that you won't wake up to regret one day. 
Even if you have outside-the-box learners or your own health challenges, you'll find support here. Breathe deeply, grab a coffee, and let the kids go play, because it's time for you to find peace and fulfillment that you've been longing for. Let's go. All right, we are here with an amazing guest who we are so thankful to have on our show today, Jason Jimenez. Steve and I are very delighted, have been looking forward to meeting you, Jason, and um, we're excited about your book that you have coming out to help guide parents through raising kiddos in the same age group as Steve's and my kids, kids from 11 to, you said, about like 26, 28? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so Gen Z, really about 1997 or about 2000, that pivotal point when you get into a new century, started in a new generation known as Gen Z that followed millennials. So the oldest Gen Zers, yeah. They're roughly getting, some of them are going out of college now, and but most of them right now currently are in middle school and high school. Okay. Well, that's, you know, our age range for our kids is nine up to 19. And so we've been living and raising this generation without really understanding the name of it. And yet we've seen in the culture around our children that there are so many things that I think as parents, we kind of feel like pioneers things that were so different from when we were being raised. And so it's amazing that you're doing an entire book on this just to help parents understand. Are you able to highlight some of the differences that there are that parents might be seeing very clearly with this generation? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good question, too, because this the, the Parenting Gen Z, my book with Focus on the Family, was kind of a follow-up to a book we wrote several years ago called Abandoned Faith, and that was for parents of millennials so really that audience of parents were baby boomers. You know, these are the 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 post World War II babies, you know, and then about 1964 was the start of the Gen X generation. You know, I was born in the 70s, so that's my generation, the Gen X, and then you had the millennials and then and then Gen Z. So like you guys, my wife and I, we have four Gen Zers all born in 2000s, uh ranging from a 20-year-old all the way down to a 12-year-old. And so we got them all in different, you know, college, high school, middle school. You know, that what's what's unique about Gen Z, unlike other previous generations, is they're actually the most creative when you when you really explore. I know a lot of times people get negative right away, like they call the, the millennials before them, the snowflakes. You know, they're very fragile. You know, they're not resilient people. They always expect to have the best because they were bubble wrapped when they were kids and everyone won a trophy and there was no winners and losers. And that's certainly true in the culture where it hasn't really taught millennials resilience to, to a large degree and millennials being the largest generation America's ever seen almost 80 million of them. And when you think of a population that's less than 400 million, you well over a third uh, in our country are millennials. And so now as we're recording this in the next presidential election, if they come to vote, Gen Z and millennials will be the biggest voting block. No longer will it be the baby boomers. So now this these two generations, the two young generations that are now in their early 40s down to middle school, uh, when you take the combined, they're almost half of America. Okay. And so Gen Z, not only are they creative, they are similar to some degree of millennials, but they're homebodies. A lot of them, a lot of them love staying at home. So they're not as active. Uh, sadly, as a result, to some degree, we see with broken families, about 12 million of them are raised in a single home. 80% of that is by single moms. They are very um, ethnically diverse. There's a lot of biracial, I'm biracial. And so the cool thing about Gen Z, and I have a lot in common with them, is they come from different backgrounds from their mom and their dad. And so there's a lot of that splurge that's mixed within them. 
but sadly, they're the most biblically illiterate. So a lot of them profess to know Jesus, but over 40% of them are not Christian. And so the other 60% who say they are Christian or they're religious, when it comes down to it, a lot of them don't even know what the gospel is. So there's a lot of confusion with Gen Zers. And the last thing I would say too, that's unique about Gen Z specific is the terminology or the belief of fluidity. And what that means is that truth is fluid. That's very rampant among Gen Zers. They believe their, their sexuality is fluid. They believe that they were assigned a gender at birth rather than being determined at birth, you know, and we acknowledge them as a male or a female. Uh, they don't like binary terminology like that. And they're very language sensitivity, meaning these microaggressions you hear a lot of the times where young people get very easily offended. And not only to them directly, but they're very conscientious and and, 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 I, and I get it and in a good way to some extent, but also in a bad way, meaning they immediately assume when someone says something that is, quote unquote, not culturally correct or politically correct. They believe like they're the police, that they have to cancel or silence people that are using things. They they catch this. They in their fluidity determine that is unacceptable or they refer to it as a microaggression. You say, well, what's a microaggression? It's it these terminologies of microaggression is from Gen Zers, their standpoint is things that people use that are stereotypical that could be offensive to somebody of a of a, of a minority group or a certain color or race. And so, for example, if you even ask a Gen Zer, where are you from? A lot of them consider that a microaggression. When we would say it as, no, I'm just getting to know you. I just, I don't know where you're from. Are you from Texas? I'm not saying just because you look Asian or you're black. I think you're from Africa. And that's what they assume. And so a lot of times when we're dealing with Gen Zers, they, they are very fragile in that sense. There's a lot of language sensitivity. Um, and there's a lot of them that are atheists. They're very spiritual, but they don't believe in a supernatural being or they don't hold to particular doctrines of faith as previous generations once have. So would you say spiritual? The first thing that came to my mind was, uh, and I hear it so often now, people talking about having a, a download from the universe or something to that effect. Is, is is that the type of spirituality you're talking about or is there something even different? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, that's a good question, Steve. So when you, when you talk about spirituality with a young person, it's their personal path. It's their spiritual journey. And they do believe that there are metaphysical things. There's something beyond the physical. They they don't know what it is. Most of them don't believe in a personal God. So they believe in a force. They believe in a divine presence of some sort. Some of them call it the Christ consciousness. Some of them call it the God consciousness. And one thing to let your viewers know and your listeners is that in this space of spirituality, some of it's known as new spirituality that's tied into new age uh, movement or new thought, which are two different things, um, or also something's known as mysticism. And so a lot of uh, Gen Zers, they'll, 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 they'll attach themselves to some of these different uh, modern or metaphysical or naturalistic, okay, spiritual uplifters or experiences, but they don't hold to the Bible. They believe, okay, it's a sacred document. But my spiritual life is in tuned with the universe. And so I'm one with the universe as the universe is one within me. And then some of them, like you said, will take it where there's divineness within themselves. And so as they advance, like something known as social justice, uh, rather than gospel 
terminology, which is the person of Jesus. Um, they would deny that. They'll believe that Jesus was a moral being, but they believe that spirituality is a journey within their divineness. And as they advance social justice, meaning as they bring harmony and reduce the oppressors in the world and reduce violence and corruption in the world, we will have this unification spiritually. And again, what, what the outcome is, no one knows. They don't really know what the outcome is. Whereas biblical Christians, the outcome is one day we will stand before God in our resurrected bodies for all eternity in heaven with him. That's not the perspective a lot of people who are quote unquote spiritual have. It really boils down to their own individual preference of what they believe to be true for themselves. In my mind, I'll ask a logical question. It might be interpreted as microaggression. <laughs> yeah. know. But if if you just simply ask them, how can you defend metaphysical things that there's no historical precedent for or anything to that extent, what would be the expected outcome? What's your take on that? Yeah. So again, this is where, yeah, you can use reality. I always tell people again, tr what, what is truth? Truth is telling it like it is. It corresponds to a reality, right? So in order for you to deny that truth exists, you have to affirm, right? It's very existence to deny it. That's a contradiction. So this is where, when it comes to Gen Z, these aren't gotcha things, right? Like, ah, see, I just proved you wrong. You know, you're an idiot. It, that's not obviously the temperament with Gen Zers. But it is a good question, Steve, where you're asking them that there are absolutes. There are things that exist beyond us. And the question is, if you believe that you exist, the question is, is why do you exist? And how do you know that you exist? I mean, so what what is your purpose here in life? What What is meaning in, in defined meaning and talking about intrinsic value? And this is getting young people to think through what they believe they say is true. Most of them have never done that. And that's a sad, that's a sad reality. I think through the years, not just raising four Gen Zers and, and, you know, experiencing a lot of conversations with them and talking on spiritual things with, with my kids, friends, and we've done countless Bible studies and get togethers in our homes and vacations, but also traveling the country and speaking to a lot of young people. And what I found over and over again, doesn't matter if it's in a private Christian school or public, they don't think through these spiritual implications. They don't know what really the outcome is. They 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 want to believe in their heart that there's something greater than themselves, but they don't know what that greater thing is. And mm -hmm. so that's when it's okay to, and I think it's really incumbent upon us to to not only challenge that, but to get them thinking and then to say, hey, would, would you mind, and notice there's an invitation here. Would you mind if I share with you who God is, Right. And most of the time, Gen Z people are like, go right ahead, like, go for it, right? And and that's what I tend to do. And then through that, you're kind of pointing out, again, not just their flaws or their inconsistencies, you know, in their arguments, but really getting them to think that when you when you are talking about things that are spiritual, that is wired within you. It is intuitive. It is written as Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, it's written on your heart. So that's what we would call natural law. These are things that it that are objective, it exists beyond uh, whether or not you and I exist. We don't determine these things that we know to be true. Uh, that's Aristotelian logic. That's self-evident truths, right? These are things that we as parents know that exist, and, and we want our kids to know that as well because there are consequences when you go against something that is a standard or a universal law 
that should not be hindered. Like there are consequences when you abuse your body and do things with it that God in, did not intend for you to do, right? There will be consequences. And then when you use your body the way that God intended for you to use it and you honor him accordingly, and let's say jump into a marriage relationship that has love and respect, then there will be good consequences to those things. And those are things that I try to help Gen Z understand when we're talking about spiritual things. So that's one thing I want parents to who are listening to know is most of them, even though they're not Christian, they don't say they're atheists. They'll say they're spiritual, but that's a great open door conversation or a way in to build a relationship with them because they actually want to know more about what that spiritual, significant metaphysical thing really is. Yeah. I think as a mom, this just keeps bringing to mind not only the importance of having this sort of conversation with our kids, but that for those of us who have had the opportunity to raise our kids in a home where we have taught them about Christ and where they are showing that they have committed to Christ, they are going to have friends who don't. And so not only do we need to be equipped to be available for this generation and our children who may, you know, 80% are walking away, what we've read, you know, after they leave for college, a lot of these kids are leaving, but we can equip our children who do have faith to help them also share with their generation. And so mm. it sounds like these conversations are so important. These questions are so important to help our kids to really think through it as well, not just us as parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say to that is it is our responsibility as parents, no matter where they're at. Obviously, if they believe we have to disciple and model the faith, that's what I talk yes. about in my, my book, Parenting Gen Z. And, and you know, that sounds so easy. Hey, parents, model the faith. But you know what? The sad reality is when you actually survey, which I did, I have a whole chapter in my book, Parenting Gen Z, of who's actually raising Gen Z. So I gave you guys in the front end a little bit, uh, you know, and I actually have eight characteristics that define uh, Gen Zers. But what I do after that is I dissect the people who are raising and they're friends of ours, friends that you and I, you know, that we that we have that are within our age demographic or maybe a little bit older or a little bit younger. But what's crazy about this parenting generation raising Gen Z again from about 2000, 2015 so a lot of people who are listening who have middle school, uh, uh, you know, elementary age, high school, and some college, it's very mixed. Well, so is the parents. You have a lot of parents who are raising Gen Z who have been married multiple times. Um, a lot of them, so their families are blended. There's a lot of stepkids. Like, you know, most, I remember when I started youth ministry in, their, in the late 1990s, there was not a lot of divorce necessarily. This was in Arizona. Um, but if you're going to church, you were a Christian. You didn't go to church if you weren't a Christian. So we would we would intentionally do outreaches to reach families who were not Christian. When I moved my family in 2006, we had two small kids at the time, and I got a job working at a non-denominational megachurch. I mean, you're in the Bible Belt, right, Steve? You you grew up in North Carolina. The Bible mm -hmm. Belt, they all believe they're Christian, and it was like a a completely sh different shift for me to realize people who were in the church they weren't Christian, but they believed they were because they went to church. They were a Baptist or a Lutheran, whatever. And so that that's very prominent among Gen Z or parents. There is a form of religion. The older they are, the more religious they are. The more rigid they are. So you have baby boomers raising Gen Z all the way to millennials at a wedlock who had kid out of wedlock raising Gen Z. So it's a very diverse crowd um, that's raising Gen Z today. Hmm. That's a very insightful thought. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, uh, 
it really made me wonder how do you how do you enter into the conversation and and i know i don't know is this part covered in your book how do you enter into conversation with the parents of gen z kids Mm. who are fluid as well when it comes to spiritual matters christian matters especially since you're talking to the people who are raising them how does that conversation get styled well, I mean, this is a good, this is a good question. This is something that the, the team at Focus on the Family and I worked through because as always in our ministry, Stand Strong Ministries, our intent is to embolden Christians to stand strong in their faith. Okay. So when I come into a church, a conference, a school, you know, I'm there as a Christian apologist, as a parent, as a shepherd, as a pastor to equip the congregation, the, the people. Okay. For whatever I'm tasked to do. And so many audiences, it's parents. Like you have an audience of parents and you want to, they, you know, you want to raise them um, up to be strong in their faith, to model their faith, to know what they believe and to raise obviously their kids accordingly. So what I do, Steve, in, in my presentation, the book, we don't want to be negative because we're not harping down. We, we as parents are the most influential. We're the most important discipler in our children's lives, hands down. Not an institution, not a school, not a philosopher, not a YouTuber, right? Not Taylor Swift. The reality is parents are the number one influencer. We still are the number one, and that will never go away because it's God's divine design. However, when you are dealing with parents who have allowed the flesh or fear or whatever the case may be, get in the way and therefore, as I was just talking about earlier, when you're using your body for your, your own uh, fleshly, selfish desires, there will be consequences. You will reap what you sow, Galatians 6, 8. But if you're a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, there's gonna you're going to bear good fruit and there will be blessings. Remember, and God was always saying, choose this day, life or death, right? That's a choice that we have as a, as a free will individual. And so sadly, what's happened with a lot of parents, for whatever reason, Again, this could be a whole different episode, but when it comes to these conversations with parents, it what I tend to do sitting with them is we address some of the flaws in their parenting. That's how we start communicating. Say, hey, what are some of the problems that you're facing as a parent in your home? How are you communicating your authority? How are you exercising your authority in the home? Right. And you start, you download and you listen to them. Right. Now, obviously, this takes time. So somebody just listened to a podcast right now. It's like, I can't do the survey with them. But what I do, and I talk about this in the book, when you're communicating with parents is I actually address some three particular parenting flaws. And the first one is a controlling parent. So let's say there's issues with their kids and their kids are rebellious or their kids. One of them has deconverted from their faith, meaning they've walked away. They don't believe it anymore. Mm -hmm. They've went through a, a period known as deconstruction. Where they've evaluated the way their parents are raised and said, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I've been enlightened now. You lied to me. It's all a lie. And I said, okay, well, in the environment, how are the parents? Are the parents on the same page? Do they they show respect to their father? Does their, the father love his wife? Um, is any one of the parents or both parents controlling parents? You say, well, what's a controlling parent? A, a, a controlling parent is someone who fails to prepare their kids. Because in their parenting style, they're too oppressive. They're always wired to interfere. So they don't let their kids make the decisions for themselves. They control the affairs of their kids. And what that actually does is it creates conflict. 
And one of the most prominent things when I communicate and talk to parents, if their kids are out of control, it's typically their parents catch this. And I know this sounds weird, but it's true. Their kids are out of control because their parents are control freaks. And that creates conflict in conversation. And typically the parents will find themselves arguing with their kids that defy their rules or their faith. Uh, a second area of, of flaws that you see within parents raising Gen Z is the paranoid parent. Now, this is important for us to understand because I've been doing this for 25 years. And I, I will tell you, people in my age demographic and our mid to late 40s, people who've been successful in life, they have a lot of kids. Um, some of them are married, grandkids. There's a lot of fear that has plagued parents, a lot of fear. Matter of fact, in the book, we refer to it as hyper-competitive fears. What that means is there are so many fears that we're dealing with in our culture today as parents that they compete with one another. That's why they're hyper-competitive. So there's a fear of like, you know, my kid's going to get drunk or, you know, get fear of my, my, my daughter going to get pregnant out of, out of uh, you know, wedlock, you know. Uh, is my son going to graduate from college? You know, should we have made that decision? Is my marriage going to last? You know, can we gonna be able to pay the bills or, you know, I mean, on and on. These are real life struggles. And so sadly, what's happened with a lot of parents, and, and this isn't just because this isn't just relatable to women, to moms. This is also true to men, if they're being honest. The paranoid parent is failure to release. Right. So remember, the controlling parent was a failure to prepare. The paranoid parent is failure to release their kids and to give them to the Lord. They're too obsessive. They're obsessive in that. And again, in that hyper competitive fear uh, motive that they're in. And so their parenting is controlled by fear. So it's always resisting. It's always preventing. It's always thinking the worst. Well, what is that going to do with kids when you're always saying well, you can't do this because this might happen? And then what happens instead of the controlling parent where it creates conflict with the kid, with your son or daughter or both, the paranoid parent avoids the conflict because you're afraid to jump into the real issue of things. So that's a second area that we see among uh, parents who are raising Gen Z. The third one is the detached parent. Now, we have to understand something. Gen Z has seen more divorce than any generation. Uh, you know, I was telling you guys, again, if you think about it, there's 60 plus million Gen Zers and over 12 million of them are being raised by a single parent, right? So you have at least 10 million of them are being raised by a mom. They don't have a dad who's in their lives. There's been a lot of abandonment among millennials and Gen Z, sadly. So what, what we have seen that's fed into this when they have kids, now when the kids are having kids, and they get older, this detachment is a failure to provide emotionally. You're not stable. You remove yourself. You're oblivious to what's happening. The controlling parent is oppressive. The paranoid parent is obsessive. The detached parent is, is, is oblivious. And that's hard. I've counseled a lot of Gen Zers. You're like, my parents don't have a clue what I do, right? They're detached for whatever reason. And now they're geared to ignore what's really going on in a child's life. And what that now uh, presents is, is a, a disregarding of conflict. And so when the when the kids, then they get in trouble because they're trying to say, hey, pay attention to me, notice me. And so I, I lay that out, Steve, because it's important that when you're addressing issues with parents, one of the things is to do to kind of fill their pain is you identify the areas where they've been messing up. But, we're, but my point is like, in order for me to help through the power of the Holy Spirit to help you out of this, 
we have to identify what the problems are. And typically it's within those three flaws of parenting that you will find. And that's why I give you those columns of what this actually does in the end. And so then when they bring conflict to me, or when I ask them penetrating questions about the conflict that their family's going through and they don't know how to respond or they're not clear on what's happening, that gives me insight as to where these parents are really at, right? With their faith with God, with their love uh, or lack of love and respect with their spouse, and obviously the disregard of authority that their kids have in the home. So when you're dealing with LGBT stuff and you throw all this other crazy things that are happening in this contradictory world, I mean, this is where parents are, I mean, they're sobbing after a session that I give and they have, they don't want to go home. They love their kids. They may be on the brink of divorce. The church hasn't really helped them. They're seeing a counselor. They're on meds. They're trying everything. And I'm telling you, it, it, it's when we've allowed these generations of parents to just continue to be flawed in these areas without discipling them and loving them. That's why I always encourage people, mentor, mentor the couples in your church. Don't wait for the pastor to start a ministry to do it. If you have a good marriage, you love your spouse and you love your kids and they respect you as their mom and dad, then you have done something special and amazing in the power of the Holy Spirit and you've been obedient to your role. You need to demonstrate that to families around you. Don't think it's cocky. You need to open your home and start pouring that wisdom into the lives of these parents. And that's another great way to really open the door to communicate with parents of Gen Z. And I'll tell you, many of them know who are who are raising Gen Z. They want to talk about it. They just got to find an environment where they feel comfortable and vulnerable enough that they're going to be accepted. And they're and and when they actually you know, spill the beans that they're going to have somebody who can help clean it up, who genuinely love them. And that has been a ministry that my wife and I've done for years. And we don't just do it to any couple. We actually do it to people in the ministry, people who are called in full-time ministry, who have struggles in marriage, who have issues with, and we bring them in our homes privately to help restore them and talk through. I was just in a prominent ministry recently doing interviews about parenting Gen Z and afterwards uh, you know, these, these, these big spiritual, you know, figures were like, Hey, I, I got a son who's not walking with the Lord, you know, that sort of thing that, that happens to the best of us. So the other thing I'd say is in communicating with parents, we cannot judge them to the point and say, yeah, you're hopeless, right? You're a bad parent. No, that that is not of the Lord. We let them share their insecurities, their struggles, if they're a controlling parent, a paranoid parent or a detached parent. And then help mentor them through how they could be more effective. So I know it's a long answer, but I'm very passionate about that because I'm telling you, if more couples did that, we could turn things around fairly easily in our culture. And we would actually see biblical literacy and less young people walking away from the faith if we had more older Titus II, right, mentors who are investing in the next generation of parents. Absolutely. Wow. You got you there, didn't you? Yeah, no, it's just like, it makes so much sense. You know, we're not just parenting the kids. Like we, we need, like you said, to really be there to mentor and be a support for the other parents, which is what we try to do through this podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's very confirming. Thank you that, that we are trying, you know, we're on the right path. I have been brainstorming and put together a treat for you. I have my top 10 secrets to homeschooling your high needs child without losing your mind. 
in a new guide that you can go and grab really quickly. The link is in the description. All of us need a sanity saver. We all can use a little boost in our homeschool, and I know this guide will bless you. All you have to do is click the link in the description and it'll be yours. Curiously then, how would you in invite people to come into that conversation, whether it's in a general approach to say to congregation, hey, I'm here and I'd love to help. If this is you, give me a holler. Mm -hmm. Or is it through uh, getting to know people very much one-on-one -on -one before they will be willing to come to you in that respect? Uh, what have you seen to be effective? Yeah, that's a great question. It depends on the on the person, obviously, right? I mean, I think that one, first and foremost, the man of the house has to be receptive to that. You know, my wife has the gift of hospitality and and I for a living, I travel a lot and encounter a lot of people. And she knows when I come home, I want to spend time with her and my kids. I the last thing I want to do is be hosting some somebody for dinner, you know, uh, and they're, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of the guy that looks at my watch after nine o'clock because I go to bed at 10 and wake up early. But I, what I've learned, Steve, is that is I have to be, I had to be become more sensitive to my wife's willingness to open our home, to give access to people who want to be around us. That's a gift. I mean, think about it. A lot of people, there's a lot of people you and I could list that you don't want to be around, right, and spend time with. But the fact that you can actually be a blessing to people. Um, and so we had to, we we start look at our calendar and say, okay, this is a ministry that we first and foremost in the busyness of life, right? And all the excuses, we prayed and identifying the fact that my wife has this gift, and I and I do too. Like I love hosting people and cooking for them. And it's like, how how can we do this instead of just like putting a flyer out there, like come to the Jimenez house Friday nights and we'll do marriage counseling for you. You know what I mean? From eight to ten. I mean, if you want to do that, fine. But it, it one is it starts with just the temperament, the spiritual gifts, and, and the in the the calling that God gives you. You know what I mean? Kind of like, hey, go reach people um, who need this, right? Now, next to that, I would say to men who are loving Jesus, loving their family, make sure that you start in a men's group. Lead a men's group. Grab a couple guys in your sphere of influence and say, hey, what would it look like if we get? To, I did this over ten plus years ago, and tomorrow morning when I'm not traveling. I'm leading a group of about 12 men, different churches. Some are not married. Some are married with no kids. Most of us are, you know, uh, dads, you know, with our pathetic dad jokes, you know, who get together, been married for quite some time. And, and, and I pour into these guys and we go through books of the Bible. We're going through Galatians right now. And that was just going one by one to this guy, to this guy. I'd have coffee with one guy. And then eventually I'd invite him to the men's group. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. And then from there, it's like, okay. Are some of these guys able to 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 do a, a marriage thing, right? Um, not all of them can do that because some of their marriages are not that strong. Um, some of them don't even pray with their spouse. You know, occasionally it's still very awkward. Um, that sort of thing. So it it varies obviously on that person, but you have to start somewhere. And I would also say this: if your church is doing something, look at look at how you can get involved. You know, maybe it is a small group in your church that you could be a, a small group leader and you, you, you're you given discussions and you're under the ministry director or the, a, a particular pastor, like family pastor. Look for ways where you guys can get involved. But eventually at some point, and this is what we have failed, and I know this because I've worked in churches for 16 years before I started Stand Strong Ministries, and I work with churches, again, almost every weekend. 
And what I found is we still do a horrible job where we separate the families. We have the men's ministry, which is most than likely non-existent, right? They do some big splashy events throughout the year. And the women are always consistently doing Bible studies and prayer gatherings. And they got like five different things that they're doing on a weekly. But that is very typical, whether it's an Anglican church, a First Baptist church, or a Methodist church, a conservative Methodist church. That's still existent. And then are kind of just like, eh, you know, maybe breakfast Tuesday morning. And then they have a big shingig thing, you know, the fall or the spring. And they go hunting and eat a bunch of meat. And they have a testimony, you know, raw, raw coach kind of guy. And that just falls flat most of the time. At some point, what has to happen is couples in the in the church, and this is, again, Titus 2, they have to take the initiative to say, how are we pouring into other married couples? Right? So at some point, if you got a man listening or you got a woman listening and they're in their respected men's group or their respected women's group and you're married, at some point, you got to say, how can we broaden this to other couples? Now, to your last thing, Steve, is yes, some of them is going to be one or two couples. And that's what you and your temperament, your personality and your giftedness can handle. I always remind people, when you look at the Bible, Andrew, if you will, remember, he was very non-existent. You don't hear a lot about him. You hear more about his older brother, Peter. Well, what's unique about Peter and John is you wouldn't have Peter if you didn't have Andrew. Right. Because Andrew was the one that went back to Peter and told him we found the Messiah. And and notice Peter, even though he had his issues, he trusted his brother and he went. But you don't hear much about Andrew after he's he's there. But you hear about his big brother who spoke in front of big audiences. So, listen, Andrew did what he was called to do. Right. Don't think it's insignificant. And Peter did what he was called to do. And I think that's where we have to prayerfully consider what God has called us to do. But I guarantee it. If we just locked into two couples in our sphere of influence the next year and look to, to disciple them or to look to go through a book of a Bible together, start somewhere, just do it. Stop making excuses. Just do it. Most of us now have raised kids without ever being invited into a Christian home. That's sad. That's what Gen, that's what that's what Gen Z sees. So Gen Z, Gen Z, Gen Z has seen churches like a pharmacy where we go when we need to fill her up. Right? I'm feeling a little bad. Get my prayer in worship time. Or they've seen church like a gas station. Or they've seen it like a movie theater to get entertained. Right. Do your little experience for an hour on Sunday morning and you're gone. And the rest of the week, you know, you don't have no interaction with other couples and other families. So we have to get back to that. We have to get back to inviting people into our home and doing a form of discipleship. Um, and again, I am stressing that because as I've gotten older and my and I got two who've left the house, one thing my kids will tell you if they were on this with you guys right now on the podcast, they would say, we are thankful that my parents introduced us month after month, year after year with another family, another couple in our, and my kids would they will serve our guests. They will take their plates away from them. They will they will fill up their cups. They would sit and listen to conversations from Pastor this and Uncle this and whatever, and seeing us pour into couples and, and love on them and play games and laugh together, that was transformational with my kids. They got to see Christians living among each other, and then when something happened, 
God forbid, but it does. It's out of our control. You guys know that with all the stuff you guys gone through with your kids and you have the body of believers who come to be there for you. I will tell you this last thing, and I know I'm, I'm just preaching. I was not expecting to do this, by the way, but I got COVID a few years ago, very bad. I'm very healthy, fit, didn't think anything of it. And uh, it wasn't like I was blowing it off. You know, I'm, I was always been a germaphobe and I got just plastered and my, my family had it and they got better pretty fast. I just got worse. And it was day 12. And I couldn't breathe. My oxygen levels were down. Um, I was in between doctors. One of my doctors had retired. We couldn't get access to a doctor and people were turning away. They weren't giving a lot of certain medications for whatever reason, because they wanted you to get the vaccination. And I will tell you, it was at that moment when my church family was contacting my wife and I was trying to sleep and then it just was really bad. And I'd go to the hospital and I'd do all these x-rays. They just engrossed people are coming, praying. People are coming by our house, outside our house, praying in their car. And I one time looked out the window and I saw a few cars outside and their hands were out of the door. And I, I broke down. I, I, I mean, I, I seriously broke down and realized and and some of them would would not take no for an answer, and they they came over and one of the doctors who is a good friend of mine contacted another doctor who treated four hundred people at this point with COVID. I had no clue. Huh. That same day, they took no. They were like, "We're not gonna. No, we're, Jason's not gonna. He's not gonna go back to bed and just hopefully get better. We're gonna contact this person. This person's gonna contact this doctor, and we're gonna do a video call with him by six o'clock today." And it changed my life. It was because of people in the church who were my brothers and sisters in the Lord. We had people bringing us tons of stuff nonstop. Guys, that was the body of Christ. I was, my wife and I up to this point were giving, 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 mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. And then I was out. My kids didn't never saw me this way. I'd lost 15 pounds and they just saw the body of Christ come. That was the beauty. That that's the end result of is when you give and invest, it will come in return when you need it. When I least expected it, that's what Gen Z needed to see. My kids needed to see that. That's made faith real and authentic to them. So I just say that because sadly, I think we've robbed our kids from that, right? And we've substituted it with the busyness of life and with technology and with sports outings and all that kind of stuff that we've missed the, the this concept of discipleship and community. Yeah. I definitely can say COVID didn't make that any better. Yeah. I don't know if everybody could hear. We had a huge jet going over our house. It's one of the benefits of living next to a military. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you live there. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't hear it on my end. So. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. If we kept talking, it would have been really loud. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, the, this is just very, very enlightening. And I think encouraging with some really good, practical, tangible things that parents can do. So the moms and dads that are listening right now, I mean, if we wanted to kind of go back and say, okay, what can you do now? Go find another couple that you can bring into your space. It will actually teach your children. It will teach another family. It'll build the body of Christ. Have the tough conversations. Have them with your kids. If you get the opportunity to bless other parents, have the tough conversations with the other parents, which, by the way, you had mentioned um, to us before we hit record that you have a book about challenging conversations. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we actually, I, it, this is a great ministry for your listeners to know about. I'm a faculty member there called Summit Ministries, where we actually take 16 to 25 year olds and we have nine sessions, the two that we do in Georgia, and then we do seven 
that we do in Manitou Springs, right outside of Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's been around since the 60s, and it's a two-week experience and where they get immersed with 60-plus hours of lectures from world-renowned experts in their particular field, whether it's history, law, philosophy, theology, apologetics. And I've been blessed. I've been doing it for well over eight plus years. Two of my oldest kids are in college, have gone and done it themselves. But we partnered with Summit Ministries with Baker Books a little over two years ago. And I wrote this book called Challenging Conversations. And it's addressing controversial topics that are within the church from divorce to in remarriage to abortion, to LGBT issues, to substance abuse, to depression, mental illness, to racism. And so I wrote it, you guys, because that's certainly been a big issue within the church is a lot of these controversial hot button issues and, and, and people not being trained or, or knowing how to respond. And so what I do in the book is I say, okay, in the flesh, just like we're pointing out about some of the flaws that we do as parents in the flesh, as Christians, we either become an avoider where we avoid the controversy because we're intimidated, we're uncomfortable, we don't think we're smart enough. Or we become the aggressor. And the aggressor is the one that gets most of the press because they're the loud mouths out there on social media trashing everybody, saying everyone's going to hell. And most of the church is made up of avoiders where we just say, I don't want to get into that, right? And you speak away the issue. Well, what I say in the book is I want I want Christians to be an advocator of God's truth, that you're advocating for the truth of God and the life of someone that you love. And that's true love is that you speak the truth and love to that person instead of avoiding it or evading it or pushing them uh, in the corner and, and, and berating them. And so that's why I wrote the book to help. And as I wrote the book, that's why when I wrote Parenting Gen Z, so many parents were saying, can you, can you teach us how to have those with our kids? So in Parenting Gen Z book, we wrote two chapters on challenging conversations that you can now have with your kids. And I would say that is one of the biggest things that I've seen that has helped. I'm gonna be teaching a parenting seminar this weekend on exactly this is how to engage your kids on some of the issues of porn, uh, gender fluidity, right? Digital obsession. We're going to be highlighting those three particular things and then teaching parents how to respond in these particular areas with their kids. And then we'll field questions. So I, yeah, I recommend parenting Gen Z and challenging conversations to help parents. Those are great resources. And again, we wrote them in uh, keeping in mind parents that are struggling with these very issues. Where's the best place for the mom is like, oh my goodness, I need these. Because I think there's going to be a lot of moms and dads who say that. Yeah. Can they go get them? Yeah. The best thing is obviously Amazon. They could just punch in Jason Jimenez, J-I-M-E-N-E-Z. And, and my books will pull up. But they could go to standstrongministries.org. And we have articles, videos. They can click on books, the section on books. And all the books that I've written are going to be available uh, for them. And then we also have podcasts that we do that that are available for them as well. So it's a great ministry that's designed to help parents stand strong in their faith as they're raising kids in this crazy generation that we're living in. It definitely feels like a crazy generation, <laughs> I would say. No doubt. Yeah. So before we wrap up, what would you, if you had the opportunity to just say one or two things to somebody but that would really help them in this area. What would that be? What would you, you mean say? for a for a parent listening? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would tell them, and this is what I stress in the opening and at the end of the book, uh, I gave a concept of we all feel like we're lost in a maze. Some parents 
started off in the maze with their family. And before you know it, they're like, I know better than dad does. And they run off down the other part and they're all separated wherever they may feel in the maze. You know, and I say this to you guys as parents, you know, Steve and Katie, that God can deliver you out of that confusion and that lostness. And I, I think as a father, especially after when I came out of COVID was a, a reminder of showing my kids that, I was I was dependent upon the Lord in so many ways more than ever before, and I needed help. So one thing I want to say is God can deliver you. And secondly, God is going to use his people to help you. Do not refuse it. Be humbled and, and accept that help that will come your way. That is so vitally important. Um, we cannot do it. On, we as Americans, especially in the 21st century raising Gen Z, so much of what we have done and what we've shown our kids is that it's always at the it's always the do it yourself mentality and that's okay to some extent but it doesn't last long and so we have to show that we actually truly have community that we don't just go to church but that we actually have community with people that know who we are and are there to help us that i can lean over and say i'm really not doing that well and I don't know if it's depression or whatever, but I, I need, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to help me. My marriage is, is, is not doing well. And, you know, my kids are, you know, arguing a lot and I'm losing my temper. Like I pray that people listening is if you're stuck in the maze, God can deliver you out of that. You have to trust him. But secondly, God will give you the guidance through people, through his hands and feet to help you along the way. And we need to accept that help. Don't be prideful. Don't be, you know, arrogant about it. Don't get defensive. It's okay to ask for help. And I say that it sounds so simple, but you guys know in, in the American culture, we do not like, and a lot of times people always preference this. Well, I, I really didn't want to ask for your help. Well, I know, but if God didn't lay you on my heart, you know, um, then this wouldn't have happened. So I think a lot of times we make things more difficult by being too prideful or being too insecure and thinking, well, people don't care. I don't want to bother them with my problems. We need to stop stop thinking that 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 false thoughts that Satan uses to to disrupt community. What we instead what we have to do is says, I have these problems that are too big for me to handle. God, you love me and you've put people in my life that can help me through this. And so I'm going to trust you with the people you put in my life. And so if you're having issues with your kids, don't do it alone. There are people who can help you. That's what I would say to people. Mm, absolutely. That's so important. And you're right. Accepting help can be very, very challenging. I mean, there have been times in our lives where we've had to have help and it really was a process God brought me through, you know, as having been a military kid and a military spouse, I've had to be very independent in many ways. And that is a difficult process, but wow, it is so rewarding when you're willing to submit and be humble and accept help help it's just a blessing and i learned and this helped me a lot that it was a blessing to the people providing the help that really did help my mindset to shift on that aspect so <laughs> jason thank you for sharing all of this amazing information shedding light on what gen z is and how we can interface with not just our children and their friends but also the other parents around us this is incredibly helpful and encouraging and i think will help strengthen a lot of parents in their mission outreach from their homes yeah well thank you both for you guys having me on and thank you guys for your heart to mentor other couples we need more than ever 
And it's just great to know that there are other couples, uh, you know, military families. You know, we thank you guys for your service that are doing the things you guys are doing to shine the light of Jesus to the lives of people around you. So thanks for having me. Thank Amen. you. As you know, we strive to provide our children with a rich feast of subjects in their education. One essential aspect of that is ensuring they receive a strong foundation in math. I am so thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, CTC Math. This online math program has been a game changer for my family, especially for my child with dyslexia. CTC Math offers engaging, comprehensive math lessons that go from kindergarten all the way through high school. The program is designed to build a solid understanding of mathematical concepts while still fostering a love for learning. With their interactive and easy to follow video tutorials, my children have gained a lot of confidence in their math skills and they've had a lot of fun. The lessons have been clear, concise, and they really cater to different learning styles, which has been perfect for my children who have had special learning needs. What sets CTC Math apart as well is their commitment to providing exceptional support. Whenever we've had questions or we've needed assistance, their team was there to help. So if you are a homeschool family who's looking to supplement your child's education or want a full, wonderful, love of learning type of math program, I highly recommend CTC Math. It's a reliable and affordable program that really will help your child excel. To learn more and to get started with a free trial, visit ctcmath.com, ctcmath.com. And don't forget to mention that you've heard about them on our podcast. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from my mom's podcast, please share it and leave a review so others can find us too. See you next time.